0: It's time for Wrestling with Sports Part 2. Inside joke. It's Dennis Farrell, Demetri Young, Jason Kindle talking sports and wrestling with you today. Uh, Hopefully, everybody's doing fine. Some people collect baseball cards, but I collect baseball players. So, I've got two of them hanging out with me today. How are you guys doing?
1: I am bored. So, let's have some fun today.
2: Absolutely. He uh, he couldn't have said it any better. So, let's... uh, do some. I hope you have a good topic because I, I people do. need to hear some fun.
0: I do. We're going to do a little wrestling talk here in a little bit, but first, uh, you know, we we actually started doing a pre-record of the show that turned out horrible, so we built out on it. But there was an interesting topic in it, and it was when we were talking about past All-Star games. And one of the things that popped up was there's only two days a year, minus the coronavirus, where there's no sports being played. It's the day before and the day after an All-Star game. And then you guys started sharing All-Star game memories and, and talking about what you guys did when you were not playing in the All-Star game and what you did when you were in the All-Star game. And I kind of thought that was an interesting topic to kind of revisit, guys.
1: Yeah, I mean... Uh, I love the All-Star game. I am mean, growing up watching it, and I love the introduction when you get a, a, a view of all the players, and they name the team and the player, and that got me familiar with the guys from the American League when I was growing up based on a National League household with the Braves, Mets, and the Cubs. And so... When it was time for me to make it to the All Star Game, I wanted to make sure. In 2003, when I was with the Tigers, I had some sweet corn rolls, and then in 2007 with the Nationals, I had big bushy, curly, dripping with 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 Afro sheen, <laughs> curly fro. And when they introduced me, I shook it and got some of that juice on Trevor Hoffman.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Dimitri I'm telling you what he was—he is. When he played bad, you could just tell he was having fun. No matter what, it just—it was just—it was a joy. It was a joy to play against you, and you know the fact that I knew him a little bit because we, the Central Division, we played so much. It was just very, very cool. But that experience is—it's a such a cool experience because I like Dimitri. I I grew up watching all the All Star games, every single one of them. You get out there and you're just like, wow. But I mean, everybody is just cool. They just laid back, and you know, you're gonna have your people that are that you think are jerks, or probably are jerks. But for the most part, it is such an honor. Number one, but number two, it's such a uh, if you grew up watching the All Star Game, it's such a cool thing to actually be a part of it. And I remember I, I made it my rookie year in uh, 1996. <laughs> it's like one of the first balls i've ever hit because the balls are juiced i hit it in the upper deck at philadelphia in, in batting practice <laughs> i thought i was like i don't know if it was the adrenaline i knew it was the balls it was i couldn't hit the ball that far but it was a it's something really really cool and but i will say this it is not a break for the players but it's something that you obviously want to do multiple times
0: I, I had the opportunity as a reporter to cover my first All-Star game last season, and I, I can I can attest that there is no break for you guys, because I'm running around covering everything you guys were doing as players, and I was wore out just doing that, And but the atmosphere on the field before the game blew my mind.
1: Yeah, it's absolutely insane, the way that they put everything together, but Like Jason said earlier, there is no break. As soon as you fly in, you get your itinerary, you get all this stuff, you say hi to fellas, and you go to your room, and then you look at the schedule, it's like 8 o'clock, 8.45, breakfast, and then media session, and then you take a bus, a a nice bus, by the way, you get a police escort, and they treat you like a god, and you go there, and then... You have all this stuff, all the balls and stuff that you have to sign in the locker room. And then you go out there. Everything is scheduled. And it's just like, dang, dang, bang, 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 bang. And I'm a guy that likes a nap. And I didn't get a get a <laughs> nap in at all. But it, like Jason said, I mean, when the All-Star break is over, it's like, man, I would like a break. And then the second half of the season begins. And, and you just go out of that mind frame of, I'm tired, to let me finish strong
2: so true and it's it's it's, uh, everything he just said was right there and the balls that you have to sign i mean it's thousands and thousands of of baseballs and you have to literally put um a a, a hour maybe an hour and a half time away just to get the balls done and but then you got media then you got bp and um the home run derby so it's 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 a lot of work it's definitely something that you want to do but uh you know, and it's funny because, I mean, uh, we were talking off there before this, we had this conversation, and Demetri and I always seem to play on that Thursday. There's always a couple teams that play on that Thursday because most everybody starts up on Friday again. And I, I think we figured it out. It's because our teams weren't doing very good, and we were probably about 20 games under 500, so they probably made the, the worst teams play on that Thursday. But then it's absolutely zero break. The only break you get is the manager might say, hey, you know what, you don't have to take BP, early BP on the field. That's the only brand.
0: Dimitri, how many All-Star
1: games were you in? Two? I
2: was
1: in two in 2003 and 2007.
0: Jason, how about you? Um, three
2: ninety six, ninety eight, 98, and
0: 2000. Oh, man. So you guys didn't even cross past an All-Star game? I know. How about that? Do you that here's a question I got on Twitter about you two? Do you two actually remember crossing paths with each other during your playing careers and talking? Someone asked me that, and I I thought that was an interesting question. That uh,
2: you, I, I, I remember every game, every at bat that, that he had, and and he was just always one of the good ones. Obviously, I knew that he's from you know where I was from, Southern California, and um, I knew obviously his he was always the guy in the lineup. Don't let him beat you and there's always that sneaky guy in the lineup where, okay, oh, Griffey, all right, I'm not going to let Griffey beat me. No, 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 I'm not going to let Dimitri beat me. But um, that's and – and this was coming from a, a catcher who knew kind of everything that was going on, or I'd like to think I did um, at the time. But um, just one of those guys, I'm sure we probably went out and had a beer at some point. I, I remember somewhere in Cincinnati, and I, I know I was with yep. Pokey, and I know Pokey yep. was with uh, – he's always with Dimitri, so – Just one of the guys I always respected, uh, Dimitri was, and and, uh, I had no problem talking to him. I'll I'll be honest with you. I was an absolute – when it came to the play, if you didn't talk to me, I didn't – he was one of maybe a handful of guys that were like, hey, D, how you doing? Um, Because I would never do that. and uh, So I think we had that mutual respect more than anything. So, I mean, as far as crossing past, jeez, the National League Central, you play each other 19 times. So all the time. Yeah.
1: And for me, you know, I would go up there to the play, hey Jason, how you doing? And then if we're in Pittsburgh, you know, hey, what's going on around here? And then he'll say, Hey, ask such and such, and then find out what's going on out there. And then if he gets on first base, when he gets on first base, he's not he's not one of those lugging catchers at a station to station. This guy will steal, he will take the extra bag, ball in the dirt, he will go to second base. So you had to watch out for his aggressiveness. And there was a couple of times where, you know, our guys were slipping. And the next thing you know, he's either in second or hitting runs happening or something. He was a gamesy player. And and so when you do talk to him, you try and take him out of his mindset. And I know that's what he tried to do when I went up there to the plate. Because I went up there, I was trying to bust a guy. You know, I <laughs> went up there trying to make friends with the pitcher up there. You, know, it's
2: to so true. you have
0: yeah. to have that
2: attitude.
0: Now let's get back to some all-star game questions here. Cause like I said, I've been to two, one is a reporter. One is a fan here in Detroit. I went to the one last year in Cleveland. What, what surprised you the most about your all-star game experiences? Was there like a preconceived notion going in? Like maybe your first one you thought, Oh man, it's, it's going to be nothing but wine and lobsters and women. And it blew your mind. Or was there something that when you got there blew your mind whether players were talking to each other or the experience itself?
1: For me, it was the behind-the-scenes stuff. I did not know how much went into the All-Star game. And that's where there's no break. You know, the, the hotel that you stayed at, everything that was set up, the people we all over the place. Whether it was friends, family, hanger-ons, you know, the the media themselves, and then you get to the, the ballpark. Cameras all over the place. The international, the national. Uh, you know, it was it was just, it wasn't overwhelming, but at the same time, it was like, oh, I was not prepared. It's for a this. lot.
2: It is a lot. Oh, I trust me. I, I know. I keep your guard up. I, I think. I'll be honest with you. Nineteen ninety-eight was the most uncomfortable three days of my life, um, because two weeks earlier Gary Sheffield and I got in a fight, and there now we're teammates. Larry Walker, we're, it was in Colorado. Larry Walker uh, tried to get me and Sheffield to locker next to each other, but the, they ended up saying no. <laughs> and I was uh we made eye contact one time and it was after the game and you know he still had a little shiner in his eye but uh it, it was uncomfortable I'm just like okay you know what just get one good punch in I mean, it was one of those uh okay just looking behind your back at all times but uh you know obviously since then played against you so many times and and you know that was just something that happened in between game but I'm gonna tell you what it was an uncomfortable three days I mean on the bus rides back I had my brother sitting next to me I'm like hey and Gary had all the uh, some other people or family with him, and I'm like, "Oh, we're gonna get uh, the but hey, just get a couple good punches in. I I can take two, you can take two, and we we'll, It was <laughs> uncomfortable, but uh, so uh, Brett Boone uh, was actually he just got traded to Seattle, but he made the All-Star team as the uh, Cincinnati Red, so he was with me. and I'm like, "Dude, this this sucks." <laughs> so 1998 wasn't that much fun of a um. An also game for me.
0: Did you and Sheffield ever clear the air, make things okay?
2: Yeah, like maybe five years later because we played against him so many times, and, and I wouldn't say anything, he wouldn't say anything, come to the plate. And then finally one day he goes, hey, Jake. And I'm like, hey, Gary, what's going on? <laughs> it was one of those things. But I'll never forget, we are playing out in um, Tampa in spring training. This was probably the year uh, – I don't know what year it was. He was with the Yankees. And George Steinbrenner never let um, – you couldn't run on the track uh, – because most guys would play when your, your starters would play, and then you get out and you go run in the outfield. you get your 10 sprints in or whatever. Well, George Steinbrenner would never let you run on the field. I'm sure Dimitri knows this as well. But you had to go in the backfield. Well, I don't know if you ever remember a guy named Tyke Redman. Great guy. But he was 150 pounds soaking wet. So I go out, and uh, Tyke goes out, we're out and run our sprints. Well, here comes Shepfield and Jeter. Well, I knew Jeter. Uh, just from we were drafted the same year and everything, so, and I'm like, hey Tyke, uh, you get Jeter, I'll get Sheffield. He's like, what? <laughs> you got, you got <laughs> a, Tyke Rep? You got? If you knew the guy, you would just it would be oh, who? We talking about? <laughs> he was just a funny, funny dude, and uh, so we kind of spit high. So Jeter kind of broke the ice with us because I'm assuming he knew what happened, you know, a year or two before. I can't remember what year it was, but uh, I think after that we kind of. Uh, hey, hey, I mean, it's not like, hey, let's go have a beer, Gary. No, but I mean, uh, you know, I respect that guy more than anybody. I mean, there's three, two people that I can say that I can hear their bat come through the zone when I was catching, mm-hmm. like hear it, like whew. And one was Barry Bonds and the other was Gary Shetfield. And I'm trying to, I know there's a third and I can't think of who it was, but if you can hear the bat as a catcher going through the zone, that's some serious bat speed.
0: Nice, Dimitri. Now I got to ask you: Have you ever been teammates with someone you punched?
1: No, but I've been <laughs> teammates with guys I would love to punch. <laughs> but, mm-hmm.
0: Oh, I, I'm, I'm sure about that. So you don't have any uh, awkward teammate situations like that, because I don't know if anybody can top that Gary Sheffield story.
1: No, no. You know what? In 2000, uh, what was it? 2007. Uh, who was it? Who was it? Oh man, um, they got into a fight. Derek Lee and um, Chris Young. Uh,
0: yep, I like Chris those Young.
1: Those two, those two got into a fight, and they were both on the All Star team. And Jason, you remember we spent an hour, hour and a half signing balls and stuff. Where yes, we're in one rooms in San Francisco signing balls, and they're right across from each other. And then everybody just kind of standing there signing. They kind of stopped and. Those two are like, hey, man, what's going on? And, you know, gave each other a hug. And, you know,
2: And I'm going to tell you, you talk about that's two class that. acts. They're
1: not going to say sorry, but they're just going to say, what's up? And, you know, everything good? Yeah, yeah. And that just broke the air. And, and you know, it was cool after that. But I was like, man, both of them are like six, eight. And yeah. this is the like two super class
2: acts. Jewish right here. <laughs> just oh. great. Both of them. Unbelievable people. I will say there was an uncomfortable yeah. situation I had. Um, with a guy who's passed on, um, Joe Kennedy. He was with the Rockies. Pitcher. We got a, I had a problem with people yelling at me. I just couldn't – I can handle a lot, but, like, when you yell, I just kind of – it just bothers me. So he hit me, walking down to first base, and he goes, get that bat that, that out of the way. I'd beeline towards him and we'd get in a brawl. <laughs> the next year
1: – The look on young face. <laughs>
2: next year, he gets traded from Colorado to Oakland, and I totally broke it because I can only imagine how – uh, this is in 2006. I can only imagine how uncomfortable he felt. So the second he got in there, he's just sitting there putting his stuff up. And, you know, he had his, he had his Colorado Rockies bags, you know, turn that in and get his A's bags. And he said, hey, Joe, I don't, uh, I'm Jason Kendall. We got in a fight last year. Remember that? Totally broke the ice. So I can only imagine how uncomfortable he felt. The, 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 it's kind of like the oh, way I felt at the, the Now,
0: wait a second. That's a good question because here – being traded, both you guys have been traded, right? Demetri, you've been traded. Yeah. Jason, yes. you've been traded. Let's talk about that because as fans, we just get the, oh, uh, you know, Dimitri Young has been traded for Jason Kendall. We don't never really get the inside scoop of from the moment you get traded to the moment you hang your clothes in your new locker. And I'll start with Demetri. I mean – was there ever a time you got traded and it was a shocker to you and you're like, I've been what? Or did you know it was coming? Well, I was traded
1: twice, once from St. Louis to Cincinnati and the other one from Cincinnati to Detroit. I expected to get traded from Cincinnati, to, the, uh, but I didn't know where I was headed. The agent that I had at the time, he knew where I was going. But when I got traded from St. Louis to Cincinnati, I was, I was right after my rookie year, so there was a lot of hurt feelings involved with that. And I didn't look at it from the standpoint of, hey, this team that traded for you, they want you. I felt more of the Cardinals giving up on me. So I had a lot of hostility, hidden hostility, not vocal or anything, but it was like when we played the Cardinals, I wanted to make sure I had doo-doo on my shoes from kicking that ass. And that was exactly what Mm -hmm. what happened over the years, too. But when I got traded from – from Cincinnati to Detroit, I was expecting because they are always talking about you know guys that they want to trade because of the players they had in the leagues, and my name always came up. So I was almost ready to go. And so when I went to Detroit, I was like, "Ooh, I get a new beginning here, and, and I get to establish myself more." Jason,
2: um, no, it was interesting because I, I was it was right before batting practice, and Billy Bean calls me in and. I knew they were going younger, than I but I had a no-trade clause. And the, he uh, called me in, and there's one of the—well, so I said, what do you got? And he goes, well, you know, the Cubs want—you uh, know, got a trade for you, but obviously you have to prove it. And I'm like, yeah, I went from, you know, last place. This is, at, this is after we went to the playoffs. This is in 2007. Is that what I said? So I, I get—and I'm going to tell you what. I get off the um, plane. I, I left at 4 in the morning— I'll never forget. We got a car, went down to Oakland Airport and hopped. We had a one o'clock game. And uh, go, you get off the plane in Chicago, you're like the Beatles. I mean, people are like yelling at you. like I'm sure it's like New York, Boston. I'm sure that, hey, bring us. Because obviously at the time, the, the Cubs hadn't won a World Series in forever long. But I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool. So I, I go to the ballpark and um, I'm next to Zambrano. Uh, my locker's next to Zambrano. Well, that was the uh, year that Michael Barrett and him got in the fight. Mm, I, uh, I look at that. They, hey, what well, was? How you doing? I say, hey, I'm gonna whoop your ass if you try to do that with me and just mess it. So he kind of broke the ice with him too. And I'm the new guy in the ballpark, but I'll never forget Sean Marshall, who was like a six-six lefty, was pitching that day, and I was playing that day. Well, the batter's eye, for whatever reason, they decided to have the. Um, White giveaway T-shirt day. I couldn't see the. I mean, because he was so tall, the ball was uh. coming right out of everybody in the center field. I am the only person probably in Chicago Cubs history who got traded. Got a standing ovation his first time, and then a standing boo because balls are going freaking <laughs> by. <my laughs> head. So I got. I couldn't see the ball. So, uh, but no, there was a fun thing, and we it was it was uh, it was cool. But it's different. It's different when you go into especially when you start a spring training with your boys. Okay. You know, you know, who's going to make team you and you go, you get your work in and you ride that ride, you know, throughout the whole year. But it's definitely a different, uh, we got, you got to pack up, you got to get going. You got to figure out. I hotel hopped for three months. I mean, it's little things like that. Like you don't have, you can't get a three month lease on a house or an apartment. I mean, it's just little things like that. But yeah, it was, it was interesting. White, t-shirt giveaway cubs whatever on the day, my first game ever got for the cubs and it was awful
0: what's your me- memories Dimitri, of going into maybe your first cincinnati locker room or your first tigers locker room and and it, how different was the vibe from cincinnati to detroit the,
1: the vibe was well when i came from cincinnati it was you know, Barry Larkin was the captain. He he ran the, the locker room and stuff, and there was a lot of order. There was no disruption or anything. So when I got to Detroit, it was Animal House, something that bad. Good <laughs> God. Oh, my. I mean, I come into the clubhouse. Guys are talking about what they did last night and what they're about to do tonight off the field. Not during the game, but what they going to do when the game's over, oh, yeah, we're going to go here, we're going to go here afterwards. I'm like, whoa, what happened to the baseball and stuff? And that slowly wind up coming back. But, you know, when I got there, it was just like, oh, my God, this, they need a, a culture shock here. Oh, my God.
2: And, and, and what – that is, it's so true. And, and this is what every Major League Baseball team needs. You need one guy, but you need really two guys, two veteran guys to, to police the locker room. And it's not like, hey, you're doing this. You're do-. No, it's it's just like, hey, dude, okay, enough's enough, knock it off. Because y- y- you have to remember, especially with this game getting younger, we all did dumb stuff when we were 20, 21, 22, and <laughs> we right. all said stuff that we probably shouldn't say, and we all d- have been there and done that. But you need a couple veteran guys to be, hey, all right, enough. you know. And that's where you play. And I'll guarantee, well, not with the exception of the Houston Astros, every team that has won the World Series in the last 10 years get, has had that person. To hey, no, enough's enough. I guarantee you, because you have to have that. And you know, what Dimitri just said was it couldn't have been said any better because you have to have that. Barry Larkin, all right. Wow. I mean, that's, you know, a Hall of Famer. And so you're gonna win, you need that. Big
0: time. At what point in both of your careers did you realize you had became the locker room leader or a veteran? Because I'll I'll equate it to where I am at work. I've 19 years at Ford Motor Company, and it was probably about two years ago I started to realize, like, I'm kind of the veteran there. Like, everybody else has been there six or seven years. The old guard is kind of moving out. They're bringing in the new kids, and, and it just kind of creeps up on you where you look around and go, Oh my gosh! I'm 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 pops. I'm the old man in the clubhouse. And Jason, uh, to me, Jason, it feels like you were always the old guy in the clubhouse, even when you were a rookie, just by the way you act and talk. So, at, at what point in your careers did you realize you went from being maybe a a just the guy in the clubhouse to like the clubhouse leader?
2: Not at all. I mean, I, I broke in. Dave Clark um, was my, and I still keep in touch with him. He kind of I would. They, different times now though i would face in locker shut up don't say anything until you're somebody talks to you that's how it was and so i would but i was lucky enough and i was very fortunate to um locker next to dave clark who is now the third base coach for the tigers and just one of those guys that just he just made you made you feel at home and, and because all you're doing is concentrating like okay i'm gonna shut up i'm gonna shut up because that's what we were taught at Dimitri in my days when you break into the big leagues is just keep your mouth shut and don't talk till someone speaks to you. It's different now, but uh, so I had Dave Clark. I, I I had and he was I say Dave Clark because he was my main guy. I think Dave, what, should I should I not? You see, and, and what year did I? Well, I mean the next year we had a nine million dollar payroll. Uh, Al Barton was the highest mm-hmm. paid player on our team because everybody was gone. Nine million dollar payroll. Nine million. million dollars 1997. We went down th- last three games. If we sweep the Astros, we play a one-game wild-card uh, uh, game or one-game playoff game to see who gets the central division. That's how bad our division was at the time. We ended up losing the second game. But, I mean, uh, when I say $90 million peril, every other player, two players on every team, was making more than our whole roster. But um, So I, I kind of, you know, Jose Guillen, everybody – I thought Jose, Gu- Jose Guillen was like a little brother to me. I mean, he was just Jose Guillen. He said what he wanted to say. He did what he wanted to do. And I, I, so I, I wouldn't say I was ever a locker room leader. I would, you know, maybe. But I would do everything more one-on-one. Because I never wanted to embarrass anybody. Or, now, if something was out of control, I'd be like, hey, you, you got to. No, we're going to stop this. up Because it, it takes one guy to get everybody else on a 25-man team just it takes one guy to be that bad apple and so i was if there was a bad apple yeah you, you go out and you take care of it but i would say maybe three four years in uh, it, it, i would but i never really did anything and if i saw something that i i would take somebody one-on-one because i didn't want to put them in a spot to where they're like oh you know, scared to scare them to death i didn't want to do that
0: dimitri
1: I like what Jason was saying because when I came up in St. Louis, it was the exact same way. You had all kind of veterans that had 15-plus years in there, and I'm coming in there fresh out of AAA, and you're supposed to be seen and not heard. And I, I took heed to what they said, and that's what where I gained the respect from the veteran players not trying to buck the system, or just because you got up here, all of a sudden your shit doesn't stink. It's like, oh, you done nothing here yet. You hadn't even shit in all this, the major league bathrooms yet. So it's like, you know, you got to sit here and you got to earn your stripes. And so when I got to Cincinnati, you know, Barry Larkin pulled me aside because I had Tony LaRusso as the manager. And Tony LaRusso was a no nonsense kind of guy where,
2: you He's a fun. no good SP, but oh, go
0: ahead. <laughs> I love Jason. I love you. You could say something like, you know, <laughs> so, this guy. Tony and
2: I am not very friendly.
1: Tony, Tony and a lot, a lot of people. My first couple of days in spring training, you know, I was just kind of serious face, you know, doing my work and stuff. Barry Larkin pulled me aside and it was like, hey, young man, you know, I heard a lot of good things about you, you know, and Pokey and I played together. We were drafted the same year. Pokey said you're a great guy and whatnot. And it doesn't look like you're having any fun out here. And he said, look around. Look. Look what's going on out here! I turned around; it was like a, it was like a barbecue, man. It was like, it was like everybody was like slapping bones, playing cards, and you know they were having fun, but they were getting their work in. And, and he's like, "This is how we do it here." And if I don't see you smiling and having a good time like the rest of these guys, and at the time, well, the league minimum was one fifty five; it just got bumped from one hundred nine. He said. And I just had a kid, got married, and he said, I'm going to find you every single day. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: and so I learned how having fun and establishing myself. And then in 1999, when the Reds traded for Greg Vaughn, oh, man, what a move, what a move. He changed the entire culture single-handedly. And what I mean by that was he got traded over there. And at that time, the Reds... Had that no facial policy, Greg Vaughn was like, "No, you traded for me. You traded for this. I'm not mm-hmm. shaving my goatee." So the next thing you know, everybody had hair, mm-hmm. hair range, and <laughs> me included, because I look I look like a baboon's ass in 1998 without facial hair, <laughs> and '99 had that, and then Greg Vaughn's culture was, you know, you're playing hard for nine innings. And he, he'll go out there, he'll swing and miss it three pitches, he'll come back to the dugout, he'll slam the um, bat in the bat rack, and he'll go, oh, he's going to give it up. Oh, that pitcher, he's going to give it up. <laughs> and, and that was that, that that mindset of, okay, you got me that one time because guys, guys will come back, man, this guy throws hard, I don't know if I'm going to be able to hit him. Man, you better cut that crap out. we going to get this guy. He going to give it up. Sure enough, seventh inning, oh. that guy's running out of gas, Greg Vaughn hit a uh, a country mile. Come in there, his eyes all bead up and stuff. Had that dip on it. I told you he was gonna give it up. And and that was just that mentality of you're a warrior for nine innings. So when I got traded over to Detroit, you know the calmness and stuff that Barry Larkin had of uh, being able to talk to the guys, you know, kind of pull them aside, I'm like, hey, right there, you should have done that. But still had that intensity that Greg Vaughn had. and Did put my own little mix in it. And I had other teammates along the way. That I took bits and pieces from, uh, you know, how to help run the clubhouse. It's not the manager's job to. It's us. It's up to us. And, and like Jason said, it's not just one guy. It's a few of the guys that pick up the reins. Like there's a, a guy with the pitchers that take care of them guys, and another position guy, whoever it may be. It's not it can it doesn't even have to be a starter. It just has to be somebody that's been there and done that. And like Matt wallback came over for a little bit, and he was he was great. He was great. He put me in my place. Yeah, I probably want to know what that was, too, huh?
2: Yes. Okay. Because I hope you Oh, his ass. Uh, you,
1: know, you know, when you're struggling and sometimes you'll just get pissed and you'll just slam it. And he's like, hey, man, it's, it's, it's cool with that. Man, but get, I was, uh, you know, I was about to go, like, hey, I'm trying to be your teammate and, and get your spirits up. Don't play that shit with me. And I was like, you know what? I can risk that, you know, because I all like he was that. trying to do is, hey, hey, you're good. You are a leader, man. And I was going off on him because he was just the first available person for me to leash out on. And and we were friends off the field as well. So, you know, after the game and stuff, I went over there to him. And I was like, hey, man, I apologize for that. And that's part of being a bigger person because in, in that locker room, not every day is going to be peachy. And, and nobody knows that out there in, in the stadium when we're out there playing some of the internal strike that's going on and and we go out there and we put on the show and so
2: there, I, that was unbelievable what he just said and, and and this is one thing that people don't realize as, as fans of it there is so much emotion that goes on through a major league baseball and this is why there's only 23 give or take thousand people that have ever Put on a big league uniform. There is so much emotion. There is so much like mentally, you have to be. But I mean, at the same time, you're gonna you're going to lose it. I mean, I, I'll never forget. I would snap bats like it was nothing, Then I almost broke my finger. And then I'm letting my teammate down. Then so, I stopped snapping. I mean, if you guys could look at, I <laughs> got this is the bump right here. This was in St. Louis. I don't know if you can see it. It's a little bump. And I. I'm, but your adrenaline is going. So I stopped snapping. I'm like, oh my god. So now I'm putting. I'm setting an example for. Uh, it, there is so much emotion that goes on throughout an eight-month season, and people are going to snap, bottom line. There is so much inside stuff that no, that never gets out, that never is, um, you know, where media is not in, or, or... It just doesn't happen, but it's unbelievable. the The little things that go on in a... during a game, in the clubhouse before the game, after the game, that people just don't know about, and it's a you have to be mentally mentally tough, and you have to be able to do what Dimitri did. Like, hey, you know what? I appreciate it, man, because I know you were just trying to check up on me and see if I was all right. And saying you have to be able to to take the good with the bad, and when you know you're wrong or you know you did something, you just let let them know. That's how you learn. And hopefully, those people that Demetri and I did maybe little things that that to to, to younger players, they pass that along. And And that's that's I guess you listen, the game doesn't owe us anything. The wheel of the game. Um, and hopefully people that Dimitri and I, the younger players, hopefully they're passing that on now. and and they, but there's just so much emotion that goes on through an eight month season.
0: Wow, that wow. i i I, I hear and see things because look, I, I know a couple guys, and people will talk, and sometimes people will talk wanting you to leak a story and i'm not a story leaker guy because in my career i don't want to be known as the guy that nobody wants to talk to because uh oh this guy is gonna put this out in in the world if someone and you can kind of tell when someone's like let me tell you what uh x y and z did on tuesday and you you can tell when they want that out in the story or out in the world and it's just not my bag or not my thing. And, but I, I, can, I can probably tell you guys some pretty funny things from sitting in a Tigers clubhouse, I mean, after you're gone, Dimitri, that, that i seen and, and heard. And, you know, especially a lot of things about Verlander, that guy. Uh, I, I can tell, say it now that he's gone out of Detroit, but uh, his teammates would bag on him all the time for not taking showers. Ooh. All the time. I, I will say I've seen many times where someone would be like, "Hey, hey, Justin, did you take a shower," and Justin's like, "My hair is wet. Do you want to come smell it?" And they're like, "Yeah, you dirty mf'er."
1: Wow, the carnival organization—we call that a dirty bird. Ah, dirty bird!
0: <laughs> <laughs> it blows my mind. Let's let's move on. Talk some wrestling. You know, there's it's it's a weird time, especially. Look, there's no sports, but there's also... We're on the back end of WrestleMania now. We're in in a world where storylines are starting to get reset, where some organizations now are starting to run out of content. Uh, WWE just canceled Money in the Bank. The Revival just got released. Uh, Going forward, we know there's got to be wrestling, but I think, and this is just a thought I had last night, I think some wrestling companies should take their a main storylines and put them on hold and just go out and do shows. I think a lot of storylines get exposed for being bad because they don't have that fan interaction to really sell it to us. And uh, if I'm a wrestling organization, you figure you might have what six more weeks of this before things maybe start getting back to normal. Maybe instead of trying to force some of these storylines that might be pretty okay. if, If there were fans there, Put them on hold and just go out and wrestle, Dimitri.
2: I, I, I agree. I, I'm actually, and I was, I was trying to look up right now the um the ratings on WrestleMania, and I, I believe that's probably why. But I, I mean, I'm still trying to um look that up. So Dimitri, go ahead and answer that because I'm uh trying to look for that right now.
1: You mean turn turning into televised house shows, basically, and just have them kind of. Just, go Just out talking and wrestling. to the mic. Yeah. Just hey, i am doing da 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 and then going to the ring, kick some tail, almost like old WCW back in when they were in the um studio, the
0: studio wrestling. Exactly. Cause I, you know, I'm finding it hard to really get into some of these storylines without fan interactions. And you can tell, it's almost like an actor, but you can tell when they pause even now with no fans, with someone's doing a promo and they pause for the fan pop and there's nobody in the arena. And I'm just like, just keep talking. I stop just, just wrestle. That's what I want to see right now. I see. Yeah.
2: And and you know what, Dennis, It, it, it kept dropping as it was going on. Um, as both Saturday and Sunday night went on and they were just, this is just straight from, um, an article that they were, uh, they didn't mention or set up money in the bank. And obviously that's probably why. So uh, I guess the ratings watched, although I, I still enjoyed it. But I guess the ratings, started, the ratings started dropping more and more and more after every match. And I'm assuming that's why there's no money in the bank.
0: Yeah. Dimitri, what, if, if someone came to you and said, what would you do if you ran a wrestling company right now to keep fans either entertained or not waste storylines, what would you do? How would you put on a show? You know what? I mean, it'll be
1: pretty hard right now. Like you said, the storyline is what really runs the wrestling. And everything cultivated at WrestleMania. And now you want new storylines and things like that, which I think would be hard to do at least for a month or so. So shutting the studio down for a month and, and possibly having a look back at the the. 2019 up to WrestleMania and then kind of break it down, individualize for like a month or so with production and maybe have people come out and do interviews or do recaps or whatnot until, until they can start getting some people in the stands. Cause I, you know, I, I was a fan of it, not, not having people in the stands for a while, mm-hmm. but if this is going to keep going and people are going to turn their backs on it because like jason said everything is going down people can't watch wrestling without the without the fans so do a recap for right now and then and then pick things up as things start to progress
2: and, and i think it's smart as well because wrestlemania is the biggest of the year right that's what, wrestlemania is the big big show the biggest thing so I think it gives the the writers also a chance to kind of, okay, let's regroup. We're going to shut down, because everything else is shut down. So might as well do that as well and regroup and come up with some some storylines. Maybe see if you can get a couple uh, uh, wrestlers that are, you know, like a Cena. Maybe like a Rock, when they do start doing the live shows again, and there is fans to amp it back up again, which I'm assuming... Vince McMahon and and all those uh, all of his work. I'm sure that's what they're doing, but I think it'd be a good time to do that after the biggest event of the the year for him.
0: Yeah, you, you and I still kind of say that they should have put on a wrestling event, but they shouldn't have called it WrestleMania. It it still kind of breaks my heart. I did. We heard you. I know. I know. But it it did crack me up where. You know, during every WrestleMania, they put up the graphic that uh, it breaks, you know, this attendance record. Someone put up, I saw a picture someone posted it had zero in attendance and said it, it set a new attendance record for zero for WrestleMania. <laughs> and I, it, 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 it's that kind of stuff that kind of makes you laugh. And by the way, uh, maybe I would have felt different if I felt like the WWE put a little bit of effort into making that stage look Somewhat different for WrestleMania, even in the Performance Center, I kind of had high hopes. And this is where I loved WCW was every pay-per-view, even as hokey as they were in the early 90s and 80s, had a pay-per-view feel to it. WWE, over the last couple years, have gotten away from it. It's just a big titantron and graphics everywhere, except for WrestleMania. And I really had hoped... Even in the Performance Center, they did something to make that area feel grand, to feel like it is a WrestleMania, and it didn't feel any different from a studio-taped Raw SmackDown.
2: What do you you want them to do? Put, like, cardboard people in the stands? I mean, in all honesty, they did the best that they could do. I mean... I don't and, think and they did. And put like no, no horns and everything like the hockey games in Montreal. Like, no, no,
0: no, 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 What do you want them
2: to do? They no. did the best that they could do Not. with the circumstances, and I thought it was awesome.
0: No, no. So I, I'm talking. But about But I mean, like, what stage. do you want them
2: to do? What, like, what possibly could they have done better?
0: I'm talking about the stage setup. And Dimitri, you'll agree. You have it to. It was agree.
2: a wrestling ring. There was, it was probably. Go ahead, Dennis. What, the, they, what could they have done better, Dimitri?
0: Jump in! I got. I know you have my back on this. Come oh. on. You know as well as I do. Even in the performance center, There's WWE obviously
2: it's, stuff they could have done better. They could have put a flower on one of the rings. I mean, it, absolutely, they could have made it more colorful not or the w- way whatever the you stage want. But
0: set up. I don't know if there was much more they could do. I think there was. There had to have been. I mean, everything for WrestleMania is supposed to feel grand. And there was no difference, even from WrestleMania 36 to Raw or SmackDown the day before, the day after, going into it. I really think they should have done a little bit something to make that feel WrestleMania-esque. Maybe set it up different, do something different. But They put the sign up. That's WrestleMania
1: enough. (laughs) Uh,
2: Seriously. But I mean, it, WrestleMania. That's that's perfect, Dimitri. You. Broke I don't. I heart. don't know what you would have liked them to do. That's why I'm kind of like in a because what
0: could have been? I don't get what you're saying. You broke my heart, Dimitri, because I really thought if anybody was going to have my back on on WrestleMania feeling Grand, even in this time and age, it, it would have been now. Even what did, it did it you was, want? You want it, what, more banner?
1: Overkill for, like, for that little that little small space that they had it might
0: have been been too much you know what i i don't know exactly what i want maybe they could have they could have done something to make it feel special they could have put something above the ring maybe some graphics they could have done they could have done something it's the wwe you you can't tell me the wwe can't make the performance center feel like a big a big event even with no people
2: you know what, Dennis, let's let us let us try to re let's let's take this conversation on tomorrow so you have like a good twenty four hours to think about what you're actually trying to say and, <laughs> and and give us more of an example. I mean, like I said, more banners up in the i in, in the Something. like I, I still don't get what you're trying to say. They did the best that they could considering the circumstances.
1: They couldn't do they I couldn't don't, do power what they gonna fire fire out some little firecrackers?
2: Yeah, I mean You can't get like Metallica up there and sing, and then they'd have to be six feet apart, and it wouldn't sound great.
0: Once again, you guys are thinking a little bit more grander than I was thinking, but they should have done. They should have done something to set that stage apart from the SmackDown on Friday, the Raw on Monday, the Raw after Monday to make it feel a little bit more WrestleMania, other than hanging a sign. They probably a couldn't sign. go anywhere
2: else, but their studios in Tampa and uh, uh, Connecticut. A,
0: a sign. Uh, one sign. They hung one WrestleMania sign through the whole, R- really, one. 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 Just one. That's yeah, it.
1: Yeah. Kevin Owens jumped off it.
0: He, th- <laughs> he did, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, All right. Listen, we are going to wrap up today's show. Uh, wrestling with sports. The guys, this was actually kind of a fun impromptu with nothing to talk about. It turned out pretty okay, right? No, absolutely. And, and tomorrow we have yeah, we're gonna have a, way, a bro, special guest. Yeah, we have a guest. Jason book somebody. Look at you. Well before... uh, we got
2: Pepper Paloof, a longtime friend of um Mr. Young, uh the commish. Uh <laughs> more so Delman than um Dimitri, from what we've <laughs> heard earlier. But uh who has a somebody that had you know put up some Pretty big numbers with the Minnesota Twins uh, th- from th- 2010 to, God, I would say, 2018. I'm not, I'm not exactly correct on that, but uh, I know that. But just a, a good dude and uh, someone to talk baseball with, and uh, we'll have to see if he uh, is a wrestling fan or not.
0: Now, you did his podcast a little bit earlier. We're doing kind of a home-at-home home thing. Uh, tell me a little bit about uh, what you guys talked about.
2: It was more, it was just baseball stuff more than anything. And um, uh, it it was, it was, it was very cool. Just kind of, uh, uh, you know, I helped him out being a guest, and he's going to help us out tomorrow um, being a guest. And one of those cool SoCal boys. So it should be fun.
0: All right. There we go. Guys, be safe, be healthy. We'll see you uh, next week when we're done.